What is the answer to 99 out of 100 questions? Money. Look, man, all these jokers have got a lot of money and it belongs to me. I want to know who they are and what they're doing with it. I'm sorry about that, man. I really am. Money does bad things to people. There ain't no excuse for it. Money. 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 I'm going to say money. Welcome to the We Are Money podcast. I am your host, Brad Beasley, alongside my co-host, David Beasley. David, say hello. Hello. And Rebecca Deeser. Hello. We have our special guest in studio with us today is Andrew Clausen. And Andrew, introduce yourself. Hello. My name is Andrew Clausen. I'm a senior retirement plan specialist at Beasley Mitchell & Company. And you are also a certified public accountant. That is correct. That sounds good. Well, thanks for all of you who are listening to our second podcast episode. We got some very good feedback from our listeners uh, from our first episode. So thanks to all of you and hope you enjoy the uh, second one as much as uh, uh, you did the first one. And if you didn't enjoy the first one, then, uh, <laughs> well, <bad>. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Try again. Yeah, Try harder exactly. this time. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Well, sounds good. Uh, well, we're going to go ahead and get to a bunch of our segments today. We've got a fun-filled uh, podcast for you. And uh, as again, we'd like to uh, thank Beasley Mitchell and Company, who's uh, producing this for us. And uh, David, I know you have a couple questions for Andrew. What What would you say you do here? So, Andrew, what what is what does a pension analyst and expert do? Well, as as a pension specialist at Beasley Mitchell, we actually have a third party administrator group that we have set up recently, where we help uh, companies set up retirement plans and get all the documents and everything ready for them to go so that they can have that pension plan or retirement plan ready for their employees. So for those uh, listeners that don't know, Andrew, what, what is a pension? A pension is basically where either the employer or the employee can put money into an investment and that investment will grow. And when they reach retirement age, they can take that money out and basically retire on that money. And typically they get a deduction... Uh, for that when? The companies can get a deduction on their tax returns when they file their tax returns, um, depending on the company that's setting it up. Uh, we have different C-Corps and S-Corps and partnerships. They can all get a deduction on their front page. Uh, pre-tax. Pre-tax. And individuals that can defer money, they get a pre-tax deduction on their wages as well. All right. Uh, why set up a pension? I mean, why do, why do you need one? Well, you need one when you're going to have retirement coming. Uh, most of us are all workers and in the labor force, and we will need to retire at some point where we no longer want to work, and we'll need money to go ahead and allow us to do what we would like to do when we retire. Well, I don't want to work, and I'm not near retirement, uh, so <laughs> <laughs> what are typical ages and stuff like that when you're looking at retirement and you mentioned that? Well, normal people retire at age 65. Uh, it just really depends on the benefits that you have coming up in your retirement plan. There are two different types of pension plans. We have a defined benefit plan where an employer can put away money so that you can get a fixed sum when you retire. And we also have what is called a defined contribution plan where the employer can actually defer money from their wages and save that way. 
What are some kind of things that, that someone needs to know about when they're setting up a pension plan? Like what are certain deadlines that pension plans have? Well, there are many deadlines in, in doing pension plans. Some of the main ones that employers would have to know would be things like when do I deposit the money from the employees that they right. defer? And that's one that we actually see a lot of uh, issues with mm-hmm. as part of that um, they get like a pay period to do that. So the deposit has to be done within the pay period. You know, the Department of Labor has really come down on on CPAs and on pension plans for not properly uh, putting money into into accounts. Is that some of the pitfalls that people have for setting up pensions? Right, yeah. And that's one of the big things that I've seen uh, working with all these pension plans is that some employers think that they have whenever they want to deposit that money from the employee, but that is the employee's money and they are entitled to that, so they need to have that deposited as soon as possible. Right. We had a situation with the Department of uh, Labor one time where um, the payroll person had processed payroll uh, on a very routine basis. On 25 out of the 26 weeks, they processed it within two days of the the payroll period in terms of putting the money in with the the pension plan. Mm -hmm. However, the person decided to take a uh, vacation right around Christmas. And so on Christmas, they deposited it the same day that the payroll went in. And so there was no days between the time of payroll and all that. And Department of Labor came in and said, all those prior uh, deposits are all two days late, all 25 of them. And so it's a lot of compliance issues, right? Right. So what happens if those are are late? Well, what happens is the Department of Labor has a interest calculation that you can do, you can run. Um, you have to immediately deposit those funds for the employees, and then you'll have interest that would have been earned on that money. Uh, and there's a calculator that the Department of Labor has actually put up on their website where you can put in the lost earnings or lost earnings, wow. mm-hmm. air yeah. quotes, right. <laughs> and it'll calculate interest based on treasury rates. And in some cases, uh, back when the stock market had it kind of went down, in a lot of cases, people end up better. <laughs> That's right, yes, they did. It seems like, you know, that with pension plans are kind of an interesting hybrid of both the tax code and employment law in that you have two different governmental agencies at least, right, that, are, that you're having to report to. You know, you're not just doing just to the IRS like you do your normal taxes, but you also have, like you've been talking, the Department of Labor that gets involved and um, – can you explain on having to deal with both of those entities, things that you've had to work with? Yeah, the retirement plan stuff is very uh, has two portions of it. Uh, one to the IRS where uh, we need to report certain aspects of, um, in particular, we have a, a form where we report people that are taken off the retirement plan or when they terminate mm. from their work, then the IRS needs to know that because then they'll be looking for some kind of distribution from the plan if that happens. And then the Department of Labor, of course, is just looking to make sure that none of the employees have been wronged by the plan. Oh. Bonus question. Does anybody know what ERISA stands for? You got me. <laughs> Employee Retirement Insurance S.A. <laughs> Something act, yes. I think. I don't know either. I was just trying I think to it's say security act. Security, security act. act. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I think I get a Sounds half a bonus safe. point. Yeah. Investment <laughs> security act. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where basically a lot of that stuff is governed, Andrew. Right? It's under under ERISA and in those in those areas. Right. Sounds good. Um, so, what are some of the errors you see that people make? Um, just just the big mistakes in retirement. 
Well, the biggest things that I've come across are people, uh, companies not doing proper testing for the retirement plans. Most retirement plans require some kind of non-discrimination against the employees uh, where you can't really discriminate between employee classes and things like that. Meaning uh, that if I was the manager, I couldn't say, I get this percentage and you're a frontline worker, you get less. Right, especially for 401ks, which are a, a defined contribution type of plan. Um, there's a lot more stricter non-discrimination rules where owners and other high-employed, high com- highly compensated employees cannot make, cannot get more money than the non-highly compensated people. Well, like I said, I know retirement plans are one of the uh, one of the nice arrows in our quiver when we're talking about uh, uh, trying to help companies lower their tax, trying to help mm-hmm. people lower their tax. It's a easy thing to do. Now, can I put a million bucks a year in this thing, Andrew, or are there limits? No, there are limits on how much you can put in. In most cases, retirement plans, you can put in approximately 50000 a year uh, if you're highly compensated, and that is if you make more than $260,000 or around that, uh, you can put in approximately $50,000. Now, there's a catch-up for the old people out there, right? Like if you're old, you actually get to put more in in some cases? Yeah, and that 52000 includes... I wouldn't know. I'm uh, not old. <laughs> does not include the catch-up. It's another five or 6000 that you can put in. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, sounds good, Andrew. And uh, if uh, anybody has any questions, they can reach you at? They can reach me at Beasley Mitchell. The Just give us a call. Sounds good. Or, yeah. Thanks again to Andrew Clausen, CPA, who is a pension specialist at Beasley Mitchell & Company. Once again, you're listening to the We Are Money podcast produced by Beasley Mitchell & Company. Again, I am your host, Brad Beasley. Moving on to our third segment. Uh, David, I believe you have a question for me. Actually, Brad... I have 10 questions for you. We know that that you are the master of your domain and the the leader of of most of us um <laughs> at Beasley Mitchell and Company. Um but we always just, you know, want to ask you some questions as if you were king because we know that it is good to be the king. So with, <laughs> with, with you being the king of the world, we have 10 questions for you to answer. And and like we did last time, you've never seen these questions. Nope. You have no <laughs> idea what I'm going to ask you. I'm scared. And Brad's responses reflect no way upon the company or upon Correct. the other people sitting around here. Right. Or all. Brad Beasley no himself. <laughs> <laughs> He's not responsible for his coming out of his own mouth. All right. Question number one. If you were king of the world, what would be your official food? Tortilla chips. Mm. Delicious. Mm, delicious. Absolutely. <laughs> Question two. If you could combine two sports, which would they be and why? If I could combine two sports, which would they be and why? You can even include sports that are seen on ESPN 8, the Ocho. The Ocho. <laughs> the Ocho. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I'd like to see, uh, I would like to see baseball with the steeplechase. Okay, if the you, the steeplechase is where they run around, and there's chase. and there's oh, hurdles, and Between there's water, the and puzzles. so yeah, if there was like uh, hurdles and ponds, right. and I think I'd even throw in alligators and stuff like that, just to make the game a little bit more exciting. As you know, snap as, to it. Yeah, Yasiel Puig <laughs> running around the bases. He's also got to jump, you know, over the right. over the hurdle, and then there might be an, with obstacles. Yeah, you know, I think that that would be. Like I think that's what I would do. <laughs> yeah, there's just a lion who jumps out every now and then, and, you know, and uh, that's just that's just what happens. I think I think uh, baseball and uh, and steeplechase. Nice, right? Very wow. good. Mm-hmm. So Very entertaining. In, 
In your world, how would currency be handled? Cash, credit? I would handle all of it <laughs> because <laughs> I was the king. Uh, actually, I do have an opinion on this one. I think that we can get, eliminate all paper currency. I think that the if you move to an, a completely electronic currency with credit cards and there is no uh, maybe no checks, but where everything was cash, where cash you know, paper currency was eliminated and everything mm. was transacted through, I think that a lot of nefarious activities would get recorded in some form or fashion. Mm. And uh, it might uh, uh, it might be better. Interesting. And as we know, taxes, we find taxes in any civilized society. So I'm assuming that your society, civilized or not, would probably have taxes. <laughs> so if you could think of one tax provision from the current code that you'd keep and one provision that you would ditch. Um, I definitely think that I would pick up the, um, oh, Deezer, it's your favorite code section. Oh, <laughs> is it the 751B? The 751B <laughs> election. That is the, the 751 uh, code section is what I would keep. And for those of you that don't know, uh, if you want to look it up real quick, I'll give you a second. 751B is the one that refers to hot assets. Right. <laughs> so no, it's not hot assets. It's in relation to how you allocate income in a partnership sale. Mm-hmm. And then one you'd get rid of. <laughs> Just one. Um, I would get rid of... I would get rid of the hobby loss rules. I think you should be able to deduct your hobby expenses. Mm. I agree. What would your ultimate weapon of destruction be in your society? <sighs> ultimate weapon of destruction society, the pen. <laughs> the pen. Oh. That's deep. That's deep. <laughs> deep. Deep. Uh. Now, in your society, how would you solve any income gap? Or would you? Or should you? Hmm. Mind the gap. Mind the gap, and we're not we're not talking about general accounting principles. No, I think that uh, I think that we have to make sure that the uh, people who want to move up in uh, social ladders have the ability and and have the equal opportunity to move up as as much as anybody else does. I think that in any type of uh, hierarchical society um, where you have supervisors and and people who are being supervised, I think there will always be a, a bit of an income spread. Uh, mm-hmm. But I think managing that uh, gap to where it's not egregious. Uh, I think still has to have it. I think that's just how society functions in general. Mm. Now, question seven: Would you have roundabouts? No, absolutely not. <laughs> yeah, get rid of it. Just make, just commit. Very strongly about that. <laughs> just commit. I mean, no. either be a four-way stop, a stop sign, or just let me go through as fast as I want to. But it's a circle. It's a circle. Yes, look, kids, Big Ben, Parliament. <laughs> you know what I mean? No, thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> question number eight: What are your top four if you're a college football playoff? Uh, right now, I, w- I actually agree with them with uh, Clemson and LSU. I think I would have gone, eh, after watching Baylor last night, I don't know if I wanted to say that they would have been number three. But I definitely uh, I, I definitely think Ohio State is number three, and I think that I would have put Baylor in as number four, uh, regardless of how they played last night. I definitely would not have had um, Notre Dame that high. I didn't think Notre Dame was that good. Question nine. How can heterogeneous production goods be included in a mathematically traceable intertemporal equilibrium construction? Um, in, a, in a box <laughs> contained. <laughs> if I may. If I may. In a large box. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, Shoebox. Even economists today still argue about this, and it's, it's a highly mathematical question where you've got uh, one of the main problems being the aggregation problem and economically speaking, where you're trying to make an assumption on like all foods based on the way that an apple functions in the economy. It's, it's highly improbable. So 
Cambridge is doing studies on this. And uh, one of the situations that their model is based on is, is a situation where you've got this homogenous good and sellers that are knowledgeable, but buyers that are completely unknowledgeable, which is highly unlikely. So basically their equation has these moving parts that are totally independent from each other, which, I mean, that's just not the case. But I think maybe an But you're assuming that, that, uh, right. that, that people don't know Right, which, the I mean, that, that buyers are equally uninformed, I don't see that. As There's a, usually an overarching question. There here. is, and I think I think the the question here is that um, is it possible to provide a casual explanation using purely logical constructions of mathematical concepts? I mean, what is the practical application of this if you've just pulled these plugs out of the air when you've got interdependent moving parts? I mean, you've got the <laughs> the invisible <laughs> hand that's just guiding the uh, these. These unknown values. Well, Brad, you had an invisible girlfriend in high school, so yeah, I absolutely, would, you know. I am an invisible girlfriend. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll go there. <laughs> the uh, wow, Deeser, um, that's uh, that's really good. I think we should. Uh, I, if our podcast wins the Nobel Prize in economics, <laughs> then I think that that was good. Then maybe you'll be the queen of the world. <laughs> like like we said, Brad has never seen these questions. However, other people right. may have. <laughs> Perhaps. Perhaps. And then the last question, Brad, who would be your top three advisors to you as king of the world? Maybe. Who would advise you on the treasury, on war, and state? Treasury, war, and state. Okay. Treasury, I would have uh, Richard Fisher. He was the uh, head of the Dallas Fed. I think he was a fantastic person when I was there. and I uh, got to work with him when I was uh, on these Federal Reserve Boards, which was really neat. So I'd have him as far as treasury goes. As far as war goes, I would have Bill Belichick. Um, he's the uh, you know the head coach of the Patriots. I think Bill Belichick would be good as far as war goes. He's, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't think he would deflate under the pressure. I don't think he would deflate. I think he would inflate to the uh, the occasion. Um, <laughs> inflate. <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, and as far as steak uh, steak goes, I would go with Outback. Did, oh. you, did you say state? State. <laughs> state. Mm. Oh wait, state. <laughs> yes, state. Okay, term of the state. I I would just manage my own affairs in my state. Great. Very good job today, Brad. <laughs> Very good job. <laughs> you guys are great. And I know that uh, we'll be moving on. You're listening to the We Are Money podcast brought to you by Beasley Mitchell and Company. You can follow us on Twitter at Beasley Mitchell. And we're coming up on our fourth segment, which is David's Legal Corner. The information contained on David's Legal Corner is provided as a general public service. The listeners, if any, are advised to check for changes in the current law and consult with an attorney. The use of this material is not copyrighted and can be used without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. If you experience chest pains, dizziness, or are caused to reflect on your current situation in life, please discontinue listening to David's Legal Corner. If you have a reflection that lasts more than four hours, get medical attention right away. So what is our question this week, Brad? So the question this week comes from Katie in San Luis Obispo, California. Thank you, Katie, uh, for submitting your question. She asked, David, why have a power of attorney? I have to answer this question a lot when I'm assisting clients and getting their estates and their affairs together. Um, everybody's usually heard of a will, possibly a trust, something to um, take care of their affairs when they when they pass away. But power of, powers of attorney are kind of seen as the stepchild, as you will, of estate planning. Really, the will and the trust, things like that, are really focused on when you pass away. Powers of attorney, those... Those documents have effect right here and now, and they basically come in two types. You have a, um, a either a durable or a financial power of attorney that 
um, allows someone else or some entity to act on your behalf if you can't do it. Um, they can either be springing or or immediately effective so that that person or entity has the power at that time. Springing would be is once a doctor determines I'm incapacitated, not you, Brad, a doctor. Oh, okay. Um, then, <laughs> yes. then, then you can um, um, act on my behalf for financial decisions also. Then the other one is what's called a health care directive. You'd be very familiar with this. Is um, It comes usually in conjunction with a living will. Basically, it makes you um, allow somebody to have the ability to make medical decisions for you if you can't. Um, it also um, provides your agent, the person who has the ability to make these determinations for you, with kind of a direction for what you would want your decisions to be. I mean, do you want everything to be taken if you're in a persistent vegetative state? Mm, do you want, again, um, state, not oh. steak. <laughs> oh, vegetable steak. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's, it's new here and I'm getting hungry. <laughs> Um, but uh, it it's becomes a big case. I mean, a few years ago was the whole Terry Schiavo case that you right. had in Florida where you had a husband and then uh, parents of a, of a lady that mm -hmm. um, that was right. was there and they couldn't decide how to make what decisions to make because there wasn't a power of attorney. The well, one of the more recent ones that um, that you've seen is the Lamar Odom case. Um, he was having, I guess, uh, I don't keep up completely on all their Kardashians oh. and everything like that. Oh, David. But um. Maybe, maybe maybe somebody else does, but uh, they um, um, they were going through some difficulties. I don't know if they Chloe got, Kardashian. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Yeah, thank you. You're gonna have to fill in those gaps for me. Yes, but, Chloe um, Kardashian and Lamar Odom were married, and they were going through some difficulties. Yeah. Yes, but um, you know, with with his current situation, where um, he um had a um an interesting time and is now um not able to make his own decisions, um, she is now in charge of making those decisions for him. And would that be what he wants? He was married to Kardashian. He gave up giving his decision making <laughs> over a long time ago. <laughs> yes. So, so again, that's that's why you have powers of, powers of attorneys to help you out during your life. Because as soon as you pass away, they're no more longer they're no longer in effect. Yeah. They they just stop at that time. That's not what I was thinking. A power of attorney was. I thought it was like some magical thing to be able to argue all the time. Mm. It, it usually is. It's also a class that we have at you know back at Nebraska law. <laughs> I know that they uh, taught us to have the power of the attorney. It's kind of like the power of gray skull. Only, um, <laughs> only uh, I thought that was your superpower, Dan. That's a little well, more relatable. Yeah. I think. Absolutely. Yes, it's kind of like Brad's ultimate weapon of destruction: the pen. <laughs> yes, the pen. <laughs> the pen. So sometimes people listen to us, sometimes not. So thank you, Katie, for that question. Um, and we're jealous of you living in San Luis Obispo. Some of us are. Yeah. Well. <laughs> You've been it slow. I mean, come on. Yeah. <laughs> Well, sounds good. Well, now we're going to move on to our fifth segment, uh, which we like to title Superhero Tax Question. Nice intro. All right. Well, Brad, you want to introduce this one? Absolutely. So we always uh, try to take a look at the uh, superhero slash fantasy world and decide right. what our uh, what the tax implications of those might be in, in certain scenarios. And so we're going to go really broad right here. And I'm going to uh, I'll ask this question to you, uh, Rebecca, and we'll just kind of go around the table. Right. Are Batman's expenses tax deductible? Oh, that depends. Okay. <laughs> yes. Very good answer. Good job. <laughs> Typical, and then we'll see you next week. <laughs> and that's that's all the time we have today. <laughs> so we've got some some tests that we need to meet to make sure whether whether these are deductible. So I'll just go through these real quick, and and if you think you have an answer, go ahead and. Now these are the IRS tests for 
That's correct. For determining whether an, uh, something is carried on for profit. Right. That we're talking about. Right. Okay, right. so each of these we'll see whether we feel that Batman is carrying these on for a profit or not. Okay. So number one, the manner in which the taxpayer carries on the activity. Is it Bruce Wayne manner? Is that what it is? Uh, M-A-N-O-R? Uh, uh. I see what you did there. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. So the manner in which... Well, so he's a violent person. But if he's doing it on behalf of Wayne Enterprise, you know, for I, I can make more money if I have a city that is free from crime. Hmm. That, that hmm. looks like what he's if doing. If he's not right paying there. out bribes. Okay. 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 Uh, the expertise of the taxpayer or his advisors. Well, he ain't wearing hockey pants. <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> okay. So his advisor, like Alfred and stuff like that? Right, right. Okay. Alfred. Um, Lucius. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Good job, Lucius. Andrew. Um, Next, we have the time and effort expended by the taxpayer in carrying on the activity. Easily I think there's in favor. quite a bit, yes. Easily in favor. Arguably, yes. <laughs> yes. The expectation that assets used in the activity may appreciate in value? I think the tumbler, well, it would have gone up except it gets destroyed. Right. Right. His bat, the batarangs, I mean, they don't last long. I mean, he's, he's, he's kind of disposable. Everything he's got is disposable. So there's not really no long lived assets there whatsoever. We thought. Uh, Wayne Manor was a long-lived asset, and it got mm-hmm. burned down. Yep. So, mm-hmm. huh. That one could be a tough one. We'd have yeah. to argue hard mm-hmm. on that one. Right. <laughs> then we've got the success of the taxpayer in carrying on other similar or dissimilar activities. Well, he's proven that he's a fantastic businessman. Right. I mean, very at least his parents were. Well, his parents were. Yes. I mean, you know, how, how do you make $2 million? Well, your parents give you a million dollars. <laughs> <laughs> your parents give you $1.9 million. <laughs> <laughs> And then you don't spend any. <laughs> Done. <laughs> uh, okay, so then we've got the taxpayer's history of income or losses with respect to the activity. I think he takes a lot of losses here. I mean, he's spending all of his own money, and I don't know that he gets any income from this activity. Well, Batman's uh, been around since 1950-something, so I mean, right. there's a long longev- you know, there's a longevity there of, of how long he's been spending these things. Yeah. Uh, we've got, uh, let's see, the, the financial status of the taxpayer. Ultra high? Yeah, I mean, he's got some cool cars. I mean, where's, where's, what, what did the Joker say? Where does he get all those toys? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it seems pretty clear who Batman is. I'm just putting it out there. I mean, who else could afford all this stuff? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yes. And then finally, we've got um, elements of personal pleasure or recreation. And I think, you know, his... The reason that he got into this profession in the first place was vengeance. So I, that may be arguable that there is some personal pleasure derived from this activity. But then would you argue that business expenses are only deductible if you don't enjoy your job? That seems extreme. I think you should get an extra like 10% deduction if you don't like your job. <laughs> if you can honestly prove that, that I mean, God, I just do well, not like this. As the supervisor for three out of the three co-hosts today, I'd like to know which of you would actually take the 10% well, deduction see, we're, that we're David's employees, talking so about. we can't take right. it. Well, that's right. It sucks for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? I, I think that no matter what, Batman would be able to get this deduction. Okay, but here's the question that I have. Mm-hmm. What's his revenue? See, at least last week when we were talking about Tony Stark, he had his revenue. Uh, so it would almost be a hobby loss that you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. Right. these are they're back to loss. back to Brad's uh, hobby loss. Yeah, let's get rid of it yeah. once. Yeah. So if Brad would, was the king of the world, Batman, Batman would, could deduct he his. He could recognize expenses. those hobby losses. <laughs> but, but you know what? Batman could take it no matter what. You know why? Because he's Batman. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Oh, well, good man. job. Good job. That was, that was, that was very good, guys. And like I said, if you guys have any other superhero tax questions, make sure you hit us up on the, uh, the Twitter feed at, at Beasley Mitchell. You are listening to the We Are Money podcast. And this is our special weather segment. And uh, Rebecca, if you could please pull up the, uh, the weather map and pick someplace uh, randomly in the world, and the three of us will guess where it's going to be. Don't you listen to the weather. We got a major storm here. I make the weather. Oh, this moisture coming up out of the Gulf is going to push us to the east and then I'll do it. Thank you. Thank you for that marvelous intro. All right, today, the uh, the location, it's going to have a high of 71, a low mm. of 58. Mm. We have five mile an hour wind coming out of the southwest. Southwest this time. Yes. Okay. Somewhere different. Yes. Seventy-one. Different. Fifty-eight. Um, I'm gonna go with Corpus Christi, Texas. Mm. I think. You know, she stayed in the U.S. last week. I think we're coming out of the Southwest this time. So I think I'm gonna go with Nesca, Peru. Mm. Mm-hmm. I got a line on that. Shout out to Lourdes. <laughs> Interesting. <laughs> Two very good guesses. Uh, 71 is a high, 58 is a low. Five mile per hour wind coming yes. out of the southwest. Right. I'm going to go with Phoenix, Arizona. Well, you're all wrong. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Actually, it's it's a little closer to what Brad guessed last time. He said Madrid, Spain. Today it was oh. Barcelona. Oh, Barcelona. Bar- Barcelona. Barcelona. Oh, Oh, she got us that time. Now we got a new segment for you coming up that David uh, made up. So David, take <laughs> yep. it away. And we'll dance. So this new segment is going to be called The Best Code Ever. And so what we're going to do here is we're going to look at different provisions in various tax codes and try to come up with, you know, eventually what would be the best tax code. So what I'm going to do is I have I have three questions here. And in each question, I'm going to give you four taxes. Now, three of these are actual legitimate taxes that are imposed upon the people. And one of them is fake. Ooh. And so I need you guys to pick up which one is the fake one. All right, so here we Fake go. Tax. So which one is not is not correct? So question one, the bagel tax. You might want to think twice about getting that schmear. In New York City, bagels that are sliced or prepared are subject to sales tax, whereas whole bagels are not. Mm-hmm. Or is it the candy tax? In Illinois, all candies are subject to an extra tax unless they contain flour like a Whopper. Not not Burger King, but like the Whopper. <laughs> oh, that's just another. Then next one, fresh fruit vending machine tax. Fresh fruit is exempt from sales tax in California unless it's sold from a vending machine. And then the fourth one, exotic meat tax. In Canada, exotic meat such as crocodile, horse, kangaroo, and ostrich is subject to a five percent VAT tax. Which one is fake? Oh man. Well. I got through college by going with with letter C, so I'm going to go with <laughs> fresh fruit tax on my side. Rebecca? I don't know. California, that seems like something they would have. I'm going to go with uh, the candy tax. Candy tax. Andrew? I'm going to hop on board with Brad here. I've never seen a vending machine that has fresh fruit. 
<laughs> so I will go with That's the fresh in fruit. quotes. Yes, <laughs> fresh ish. No. Actually, you're you're wrong. The exotic meat tax. No. Um, in, in Canada, there is actually an exemption from the fat, vat tax for exotic meats from oh. crocodiles, horses, cannibals. Come on, and come on. All right, all right. Question number two. We're zero for one. It's like Brad's baseball. <laughs> Keep going. Hey, hey, hey. I eventually get a hit. <laughs> eventually get a hit. Here we go. There is the napkin tax. Colorado levies an, a tax on non-essential food packaging items. That means that you'll pay tax on paper cups, cup lids, and napkins, but not the paper cups themselves. Okay. Number two is the diaper tax. Adult diapers are exempt from sales tax in Connecticut, but if you're buying diapers for your kids, you'll have to pay tax on those. <laughs> Come third on. one, the crayon tax. Oregon imposes a 2.5% excise tax on crayons, markers, and colored pencils brought into the state for resale that are not primary or secondary colors, meaning red, orange, yellow, green, blue, violet, but they also include black or white. Then there is the elderly tax exemption. By the time you're 100, you've paid enough taxes, at least according to the state of New Mexico, where people over 100 years are tax exempt. Which one is fake? Andrew, you can go first on this one. Well, I like to always go with the accounting answer. It depends. I'm going with the diaper tax. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to join you with the diaper tax. (laughs) Oh, man. You know what? I think the the crayon tax is, is... Pretty crazy. Well, Rebecca, you are correct, and they are full of it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, the crayon tax, I, I completely made that up. That is, that, is, that is not a tax. That was very specific. Yes. <laughs> and the very last one here, the uh, question question three, we have the flush tax. If it's yellow, let it mellow. Could be the model of two states, Virginia and Maryland. In these two states, there is a tax on flushing the toilet. There's the hygiene products tax. Six states, California, New York, Wisconsin, Maine, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey specifically tax the sale of feminine hygiene products. There is the card decks tax. If you buy cards in Alabama, you'll pay a 10-cent tax on the deck. Meanwhile, in Nevada, gives free decks out in exchange for completed returns. Then there's lastly is the hot air balloon tax. In Kansas, you have to pay tax on that hot air balloon ride or risk flying away. In that state, tether balloons are taxed, but those that roam free are not because they are considered a legitimate form of transportation. It must be with the Wizard of Oz and right. all that stuff. <laughs> so is it the flush tax, hygiene products tax, card dex tax, or hot air balloon tax? Which one is fake? Rebecca? Flush tax. <laughs> yes, I'll go with the flush tax as well. I will agree. Incorrect. Oh. There's actually a, some a whole bunch of lit- litigation and everything going on because I think they just raised it in last year. Oh the, my gosh. Of the percent of that. No way. Yeah. It is actually the hygiene products tax. Um, in Maine, <laughs> in, in, and it's a kind of a technicality. Maine, Pennsylvania, and New Jersey specifically exempt those products where there's not. But there's actually a worldwide movement to make those products not subject to tax. Oh, well, thanks, <laughs> Dave. So that says we go and try to make the best code ever. <laughs> nice. We have the, uh, and, and that brings us up to our final segment today. I think we've had a lot of fun, and uh, this is the random Google search where we take two random words from textfixer.com <laughs> and add the word tax to the end. So, everyone, the uh, the random words as I press in the button here is shock, horseplay, tax. So, shock, horseplay, and the word tax. Okay, so what, David, what do you think is going to come up? Shock, horseplay, 
tax. I think something's going to come on. There's going to be an algorithm incongruency with the Google processing uh. thing. And those are a bunch of words that I think <laughs> work together. But I think it's just going to be somebody is shocked at the horse winnings that are subject to tax on them because they won a lot at horse racing. Okay. And uh, I think it's going to be something for a tax on little kids. They like to play horse play a horse lot play. and they Goodness. have buzzers on their hands, you know. Okay. Those little toys you get when you're a kid. <laughs> All right. A horse play tax. I got it. Horse D, sir? Tax. All right. I'm going to say that maybe this has something to do with an electrical fence. If you have, maybe you raise horses as a hobby or they complete some sort of opt- obstacle course and you need to keep people in or out. <laughs> well, this is funny because the uh, in Google, the very first article that pops up is an article from 2013 where it says, horse players avoid the fiscal cliff but still face a tax abyss. The tax code changes passed last week by both houses of U.S. Congress would have sent American horse players flying off a fiscal cliff had it not contained an exemption, allowing them to continue deducting gambling losses against winnings regardless of new caps on itemized deductions. The National Thoroughbred Racing Association derives credit for lobbying for that reprieve, but its work is not done in that area. The Internal Revenue Service policies toward taxing gambling proceeds remain blatantly unjust and in need of reform. The continuing failure of the racing industry to change the fundamental problems with the tax code is costing hundreds of millions of dollars a year in lost business. Mm. So shocking horseplay. Interesting. Yes. Gambling losses. Gambling losses. Wow. Yeah, who'd have thought? Yeah. It's funny how when you put tax on the end of everything, it just yeah. makes it that much better. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Yes. So once again, you're uh, listening to the the We Are Money podcast. We'd like to thank everybody for being here today. Thank everybody for listening to us. And uh, Andrew, we're going to start with you. Any parting shots for the end of the podcast? Yeah, I'd just like to say I, I really appreciated being a guest on the show. And uh, what I heard from last week, it was really awesome. So I was really eager to come and, and be on your show. And I really appreciate it. Thank you. And David? I just uh, want to thank, about, thank Brad for... Uh, being uh, open to his uh, <laughs> all the different questions that we've given him, and I think that uh, thank Andrew for coming on and and talking to us about pensions. I know that um that uh, provides a lot of good information for our listeners, if any. And um, um, we <laughs> hope to see our next uh, for next our guest listener. for that. <laughs> our one I'm over here. Uh, <laughs> I'd like to thank our listener. Yes, our listener. <laughs> we appreciate. <you. laughs> And Disha, your parting shot, and you can introduce our guest for next week. Uh, yes. So uh, thanks again for tuning in, listening to us have a little fun with our information. And uh, uh, next week, or I guess it's going to be two, two weeks, two weeks uh, we are going to have Michelle Shermer from Beasley Mitchell & Company. She is a CPA, and she is our dairy queen. Mm. Ooh, <laughs> ice cream. Ice cream? Like ice cream? So there's going to be a blizzard of information coming. Ooh. Ooh. Right. Yeah. Let's hope we can just parfait it into something fun. <laughs> yes. Yes. So we'll be talking to her next week. Um, she's, she, a specialist in, she's a specialist in dairy cows. Yes, that's correct. Okay, right. so now I have a question for everybody. Do right. you know how you count dairy cows? Um, you count the legs and you divide by four. Ah, it seems like a it's lot a trick. Work. It's a trick for those audit- us auditors. <laughs> Does it work for chickens as well? Uh, that's why actually you can count by two. Oh. Well, you count each leg and divide by two. It gets, gets a little tricky when you end up with the remainder, though. Right? Yes, <laughs> it gets it's very, very weird. Very, and very cumbersome. Carry the one. I don't. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. You got that. You got that one cow over there tripod. Let's use the load of bull. And with that, thank you guys very much for listening to the We Are Money podcast. We'll see you in a couple weeks. Take care, everybody. 
It's not over yet. It is for me, sister. Look, I ain't in this for your revolution, man. I'm not in it for you, princess. I expect to be well paid. I'm in it for the money. 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 I'm going to say money.